0: Thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you that um, you really are amazing. You are incredible, and you sustain us through everything. That trust, faith, belief, confidence that is adequately, correctly placed in you, never disappoints. And uh, that's comforting, and especially in these days, Lord. So, thank you. I pray, God, you be at work here as we look into your word and either speak or listen or share. Um, Be at work in our lives. Be glorified in our lives. Draw us closer to you and uh, more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so how's everybody doing? Good? Any challenges? Difficulties? Couple? Well, that's because you drive every day on the road, so... Yeah. Are we doing all right? I mean, you know, there's everything from resurgence to COVID, regardless where, you know, politically and uh, practically how you stand on that, but it affects all of us. Um, Political junk going on, you know, it's like you either got one guy running things or somebody else running things and just saying nobody seems to do a great job which is why I'm waiting for the king to come back you know I mean I know some do better job than others or they're more policies are maybe more closely aligned to biblical truth than others but man if that's as good as it gets we are all going to be in a lot of trouble and thankfully that's not as good as it gets and uh Yeah, now France, I guess, is all up in arms. Well, actually, not quite, but I don't know if you heard about that. But, yeah, the U.S. kind of stabbed France in the back and did a last-minute submarine deal with Australia. Shockingly, Australia decided to buy nuclear subs instead of conventional ones. It's like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. But, yeah, so the U.S. and France... You know, if you like french fries, get them now, because who knows? (laughs) They'll boycott them or something. So there's all this junk going on. And we know the last couple of years, especially for us as Americans and beyond, has been difficult. No matter where you're at with all of this, right? I mean, it's been challenging. It's been difficult. And I was thinking as I was preparing for this, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And as you know, over the last year or more, I think when I preach, I've been preaching on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you've read it many times. And uh, specifically, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? And we've been talking about how the kingdom is now, and it's not yet. It's kind of like been inaugurated, but it's not in its fulfillment. Uh, The king was here, but now he's gone And there will be a day, hopefully very soon, when he comes back with all the fanfare that he desires, which is like, you know, in the clouds and stuff. So that's what we've been talking about. And um, I thought, you know, with what's been going on in the world in the last couple of years, we have faith, and hopefully our faith in God has us grounded. And... um, I kind of had an idea one time. I wanted to share it with my grandson when he was here, but, you know, memory's not running on all cylinders. But I wanted to encourage him. You, you, most of you met Lincoln or saw him when he was here. And I wanted to encourage him. The idea that came to my mind was be the flagpole, not the flag. A flagpole stands, it, it may flex, but it's rigid. The flag goes all whatever direction the wind is blowing. And people in life need that stability of a flagpole, right? Especially the lost. Because, you know, without that foundation of God, you're just at the mercy of the wind. And um, so I was thinking that. And I was thinking, well, that solid faith in God through Christ can make us be that. So that, you know, we can share with other people the reason for the hope that we have. And I thought, well, everybody has faith. And every human being needs faith. And when I say faith, well, everybody needs faith in God, the living God. But that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Faith, as I looked it up, is belief, trust, or confidence. Belief, trust, or confidence in someone or something. And I thought, we all need that. And that's why modern society is is such a frantic mess, is people put faith, we all put faith in a lot of different things. You know, if I drive through a green light, I have faith that the driver coming from a 90 degree angle will stop at a red light. Occasionally that faith is not uh, accurately placed. This may be a good way to say it. Right? We all have faith in something. You put your money in the bank, you have faith, you have trust, you have confidence that your money will be there when you need it back. And so that's why there's so much stuff going on in our world. is People put trust and faith in things like the government. And we all do to some degree. I know if, if you're not happy with the current president, that would just be like a wide open target. But we still put faith in the government to some degree, right? I mean, don't we all? I think so, yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't file your taxes and, you know, I mean, there'd be a million things. You would live very differently. But then the government doesn't measure up to your expectation of that. Or you put faith in medical people and then this COVID thing happens and it's like, well, you can believe whoever you want to believe. You know, there's not one consensus. Um, You could put faith, uh, spouses can, and people in marriage can put faith in their spouse, and hopefully, thankfully, it's well-founded, but frequently it's not, especially in today's world. So this belief, trust, confidence in someone or something. We need that. So when you see the, the world in turmoil, that, you know, think of that. Think people need faith, and if they don't have God as the kingpin of faith, so to speak, they're kind of more the flag than the flagpole. Okay, and then in my notes here, I just put, is this a common definition, yes or no, or is it a biblical definition? And let me say right now, there's going to be a lot of participation today. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> this whole lesson message Is geared around it, as you're going to see very quickly. So feel free if you want to raise your hand, if you want to make a comment, or if I ask a question, please. I'm having faith that's well-founded that my body is going to help me go through this lesson. Right? Okay? Amen! Who said yes, sir? Was that you, Kia? I don't know who your mom is, but she needs to know, you got a smart mouth, girl. I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, so is this definition, is it a biblical definition or is it just a common usage definition? Yes. Yeah, it's both. Really, it is. I looked it up, faith, you know, in a Bible context. I got that. And then I kind of like was Googling and stuff as I was preparing and I got word for word in a completely secular thing. So, Faith is belief, trust, or confidence. Doesn't that describe your faith? I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means I have belief in Him. That means I have trust in Him. That means I have confidence yes. in Him. Right? And if you got that, it's like, yeah, I've taken that. Yeah, because he, He's worthy of our faith, of our trust, of our confidence. He doesn't disappoint. He may disappoint you because you may have different kind of expectations on him. But he does not disappoint. He is all-knowing. I am not all-knowing. So sometimes I kind of feel like God disappoints me. But one of the two of us in this little thing here is smarter than the other one. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of us makes mistakes, one doesn't. So if I think, God, where are you? He's right where he always is. If I think, Lord, what are you doing? I should have faith, belief, confidence that he knows what he's doing. And I, like a little child, don't. Okay. Um, And is faith a verb or a noun? I'll let you sort that one out. Um, Okay, so list a verse you know about faith. What's, so, I'm kind of looking for the word faith in Bible verses that you know. Um, you can list one right there if one comes to mind and you're prepared to write. Um, you can list one there. We're going to look at one in, in a minute in 2 Corinthians. But now I'm going to go through the rest that's on this first page that started with Matthew 6, 1 through 4. That's the first page. Um, And we're just going to go through this. And some of them have the word faith, but they're all a a verse or a passage that has to do with faith. Okay? How about the first one? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yes, so faith is absolutely required if we are going to please God. Right? Hebrews 11.6 A little goes a long way. That one's going to be tricky. Faith, a little, goes a long way. Move a mountain, yes. If you have faith the size of a grain of of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. A little goes a long way. And the reference I have for that one is Matthew 17.30. Count it all joy. James. James. James one two, Right? Count it all joy, and I'm not going to read out the rest of it if you know it, anybody all right, yeah. yeah, the testing of my faith he uses for a good result, so when I'm getting all you know hammered with the events of the life that we're living. I have to, by faith, putting my belief, trust, or confidence in him and his word, both of which are entirely trustworthy. Yeah, I have to know. It's like, "Ah, man, this really is a mess. But he's going to use it. He is using it for something good. Okay, by grace? Ephesians 2? Yeah, 2, 8, and 9. Somebody knows that verse. Yeah, we're saved through faith. And it's God's grace. It's a gift. So faith comes. Hearing, uh, hearing yeah, Romans 10. Hearing the Word of God. Hearing. Hearing the word of God. Is that Romans 10, um, I have 17, 10, 17, But you know me. <laughs> no guarantees here. It's kind of informal. Yeah. So faith comes. That's why the word is the word, or the preaching or the teaching of the truth is so important. You know, nobody who knows nothing about the Bible wakes up one day and thinks, Wow, I've been born again in Jesus Christ. He's taken all my sin. How would you know that? You have to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, appropriately effective hearing, understanding, comes from the word. Yeah, it's awesome. The assurance. Was that you, Gwen? Evidence of things not seen. Right? Or something like that. Hebrews 11.1. 1. James. Okay, let me just stop here. If you know the word, if you're kind of a student of the Bible, you know James... He's kind of got this little, you know, he's like the little pinch of uh, cayenne that goes in the bible, right? He talks a lot about works. And we as as biblical evangelicals, we're like you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. And a lot of people then have trouble with the book of James. He's like, yeah, "Grace is totally awesome. Show me your works." And some people think James was into some kind of works doctrine. I've never thought that. He's just like, that's awesome. You got faith. Show it to me by your transformation, as Spencer has been preaching. You should be transformed. And as you're transformed, there should be fruit, there should be evidence, there should be good works or good deeds that you do. That's all James is saying. He's saying faith by itself is dead. Ineffective. Because even the demons believe. And in fact, the demons probably have better faith, quote-unquote, than you and I. Does that sound weird? They live in the invisible spiritual world and dynamic. We live by sight right now. We walk by faith, but, right? I mean, we, we have to live right now by touch and hearing and seeing and stuff. So yeah, faith without works is dead. So James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's not saying, all my works get me saved. Never saying that. That's a works salvation. James is saying, all my works are evidence that I in fact am saved by the grace of God. That's a very important distinction. Okay. I live by faith, Galatians 2.20. By the way, there was James 2.18, I'm sorry. Uh, So I live by faith in Galatians 2.20. Somebody has to have memorized that. Come on. Woo! She's with you, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I live by faith. I no longer live. That takes faith for me to understand that and to begin to live by it. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I don't have to play tug-of-war with him my whole life. It's like, I want, it's your will, I want, it's your will. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we kind of all live somewhere in that struggle. And yeah, it's by faith in the Son of God. I no longer live, I'm just kind of walking and talking. But Christ lives in me. He lives through me. Beautiful stuff. First uh, Corinthians thirteen thirteen. So now faith, hope, and love. And which did Paul say trump trumps them? Love. love. Yeah. The greatest commandment love God, love others. It's not to demean faith or hope. But yeah. Um, we are perishing. He awoke. And what did Jesus say? Okay, so I'll kind of give you the context. Seas going, the boats rocking, Jesus is asleep because it's like, you know, nothing's going to happen to me that's not going to happen to me. So. And they're like, Lord, wake up, we're sinking. Right? That's the context. And what does he say? Yeah. <laughs> it's scolding time. Oh, you have little faith. It's like, come on, guys, we've been together all this time. <laughs> Well, what's it going to take? You're worried we're going to drown? You have little faith. And now there's several in John, and I'm using this last one. So toward the end of John's gospel, it says, But these are written so that you may believe. Right? If you remember that, at the end of John's gospel, he says, Jesus did a whole bunch of stuff, but these are written, these are in the gospel, so that you may believe. Well, this word here, believe, is pretty much the same word as faith. Now, it may be kind of a version of it. So, you, yeah, so that's why I put the question marks. You're like, well, how come you're slipping believe in it on Greg? We're talking about faith, faith, faith. Belief, trust, confidence. And he says, believe. So this Greek word and its variations can be used different ways. And in different versions of the Bible, they Can show up differently. Now the reason I did this is to show you that it's very closely connected. Belief, faith, confidence, and even as the translators translate the Bible, and believe me, they're way, way, way smarter than me. I mean, I I butcher the original language most of the time when I try to use it. I don't claim any credit in that arena other than it's helpful to do some study so when they translate they look at the manuscripts and then they have to decide prayerfully have to decide how are we going to translate this into English and this is a little parenthesis thing if you're a a diehard King James fan they had a certain set of manuscripts or texts that they had several hundred years ago when they translated the King James that is either good or bad, depending upon your perspective. I'm not pointing one way or the other. There have been more manuscripts found and discovered in the hundreds of years since then. And but that's kind of what you need to know about the King James, that diehard fans of the King James, it's like that's the word of God that the most diehard fans of the King James even believe that is the only authorized word of God for the English language. I'm not trying to go anywhere with all of this, except to say, when you go to your scriptures, and in the King James, it may say alms, and in the New King James, it may say charitable deeds, and in the NIV, it may say giving to the needy. This is why. The scholars, when they translate it, they look at that, and prayerfully, they say, what is God saying in these texts? And how can we then carry it over into the English language? And that goes back to why did I sneak in these ones about John and believe. John chapter 3. That kind of talks about faith, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Greg. Uh, For God so loved the world. This is kind of a well-known verse, I think. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him that whoever has faith in Him that whoever puts trust or confidence in Him you get me okay now the problem is when they do a Bible unless it's the Amplified Bible they got to go with one they can't you know put whoever believes trust puts confidence in Jesus I mean that it's not going to read right so. I'm half done. Is awesome or what? Um, okay, so that's, um, that's where we're at. So now, Matthew 6. So what's all this about faith? You know, why am I talking about faith? If we read the text, which I will do right now, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and I'm reading through from the ESV. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That whole idea of your Father who sees in secret. You got to get a hold of that whole concept if you're ever going to live anything close to the godly life that God desires for you. We can be secret. We can hide things. The U.S. government can drop a 11th hour deal for submarines, you know, with Australia and then France, who was going to sell all these, you know, $100 billion worth of subs is mad because it was, was kind of done in secret. And we can try to live in secret. And my Bible says, you know, what's done in secret is going to be proclaimed from the rooftops. Yeah? God sees. He sees the heart. He knows my, the thoughts I have. So if you're going to live the Holy Spirit-empowered, victorious, uh, and I'm not one of those preachers, but if you're going to live that way, you have to understand this. He knows. He's there with me. If I'm, you know, fiddling around on my phone and keep fiddling in the wrong direction, he's right there with me. You know, I could try to hide something from Kim or from somebody else, from Pastor Spencer, But where do you go to hide from him? right? Adam and Eve tried it. It didn't work out (laughs) great. And and humanity has been trying it ever since. And it still doesn't (laughs) work out great. So yeah, in secret. So we're going to get into all of this. But I thought, before we leave this faith thing, uh, the ultimate faith verse is in a bizarre book called Habakkuk. This is the one that all the, the theologians and stuff. I mean, this little book of Habakkuk and this guy's griping to God about how the whole world's going down the drain. It's highly uh, comparable to our times. I suggest you read it because he's like, Lord, this is all messed up. Our society's in the trash can. Right. You know Habakkuk? And God says, what does God tell him? Come on, some of you guys know. He's like, don't worry, Habakkuk, I got this. I'm bringing the Babylonians in. They're going to fix the nation who's in all this sin. And Habakkuk says, somebody. Chris, you know, I can tell by that smile. Habakkuk says, what? The Babylonians, they're way worse than we are. You can't, how can you do that? How can you bring in a nation that's way worse than us to spank us? And he's like, just calm down, Habakkuk. I got this too. They won't be around forever either. Habakkuk. It's awesome little book. And in it, in chapter 2, and if you would to memorize my little mine, a Zeph, Hag, Zekh, mouth thing, you would know right where it is. Which comes after Hojo, Amo, Obajon. Not right now. You're thinking I just became Pentecostal <laughs> and I'm speaking in a different language. It's just how, how I remember where Habakkuk is. <coughs> okay, so God says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then in quotes, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And this is one of the absolute cornerstones. One line in the middle of Habakkuk. Absolute cornerstone of biblical doctrine. But the righteous shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by his faith. And that goes all the way back to Genesis, when Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices, and one was offered in faith and obedience, and one was not. And it goes all the way to Galatians and Romans, and it's a foundational doctrine. The righteous shall live by his faith. If James was here, he'd be like, that's what I've been talking about. The righteous, the born again, the truly saved, live by their faith, not outward actions. The righteous shall live by his faith. Also in Hebrews 10.38, I really should track my one with the blanks. Um, Also in Hebrews 10.38, Galatians 3.11, in Romans one seventeen, isn't that interesting? Okay, so righteous. Now we're going to be right here finishing this thing in Matthew six. And righteous and righteousness is very important because, as I read, Jesus said in six Matthew six one, beware of practicing your righteousness. And I thought, you know doesn't hurt to go over some of these terms very important terms and every believer should have a a grasp of it righteousness is rightness or to be in right relationship okay it's rightness if I am righteous before God I am right in the right position before God it's. I've said before. It's kind of a relational word, to be in right relationship. That's what righteousness means. So when you read these terms, you should understand what is righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? Self righteous. Okay. Well, if I'm self righteous, I am in right relationship based on what I do. Wrong answer. Right? The Bible says no flesh will be justified that's another one that's coming before god i can never with my own effort put myself in right relationship before god right you believe that say amen because that's the basis of justification by faith being saved by faith okay so rightness or to be in right relationship The believer's righteousness is both a present reality and a future hope or realization to which we aspire. Present reality, future realization. Have you heard that before from me? Say yes. Yes. (laughs) That's the kingdom. The kingdom is described exactly the same way. The kingdom of God is a present reality. It's not just wishful thinking, is it? There is a king. And he takes me out of the kingdom of darkness and puts me in the kingdom of Christ. And I am there now. Right? Yeah. That is a reality. Christians mess up how they live and their focus and their priorities because they don't get the kingdom. God did not save you to live the successful American life and then die and then go to heaven. That's not not even the gospel. I don't know what that is. That's some wishful thinking. It's the kingdom. And when I come to faith in Christ and I realize I am a sinner. And God sent his son to die for me. And what I have to do is believe. Okay, now, biblical belief. It's not like the demons believe. It also involves things like repentance. That's why the gospel was preached. Repent and believe. So that takes me out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Christ. And he is now my sovereign. I mean, I have a president and I have a governor and I have a wife. But Jesus is my ruler, right? And that should be the same for every one of us. Because it's true. It's a present reality. It's not totally complete. It's also a future hope. Spencer always says, it's now and not yet. So it too is like a parenthesis thing where Jesus came, starts the kingdom, right here. Sermon on the Mount is like the manifesto of the living in the kingdom. If you think your life doesn't really count for much, go back to Matthew 5.1 and read it. And then pray that God will show you what you need to do to conform to it. So that's the parenthesis. And the closing... Parenthesis, which for you would be this way, I guess. The other way is when he comes, right? When the king comes. And bummer, we've been doing this for 2,000 years. Thanks be to God, he has been saving people for 2,000 years, right? So we're like the Apostle Paul. My heart is like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? You ever feel that way? It's like, man, I'm so tired of this. Come quickly. But don't get too selfish with that. Because there's a whole lot of people on the road to hell. And God is still saving them. And he will keep saving them until he's done. He decides and the king comes again. So the kingdom is just like my righteousness. It's a present reality. I am righteous before God because of what Christ did on the cross. But I'm not in perfect relationship with him. Right? I mean, spiritually, I kind of man, but am I the only person here who actually really wants to see him? And hang out? <laughs> and find out? And ask questions? And Right? I mean, don't you feel that way? You should. We all should have that hunger and say, come quickly, Lord. And also, but wait, Lord, because my brother needs to come to faith in you, or my daughter, or my neighbor, or my coworker, or right? That's how we have to live. And that's what Paul meant when he said, you know, hey man, for me it's good. I'm out of here. But it's better for you, the church, that I hang around for a while. That should describe all of us. It shouldn't just describe those of us as we get my age and older, or your health fails, or whatever, and then you're like, oh man, this life here's no fun. Okay, I'm ready to go. No. We should be on task, on focus, as we grow in our faith, until the time we're done. He's entrusted to you and I money, health, opportunities, abilities, right? He has entrusted to you, as a believer, your circle of people that you can reach. Be faithful in that. He has entrusted to you an awesome, eternity-altering work. And I am not overstating it. Am I, Brian? See? He has entrusted that to you. Ephesians 2.10, work that he prepared in advance for me to do. So seize that. Grab on to that. Brian, how many people have contacted you about the way of the Master? Are you serious? Thank you, Lord. That is awesome. That will help us be equipped to seize the opportunity, the responsibility, the stewardship that he has given us. That is awesome. Thank you. I'm blessed. Okay. So the believer's hope, the believer's righteousness is both a present reality and a future hope or realization. Just like the Kingdom of God. In Matthew four twenty three, the word says Jesus was teaching, preaching, and healing, or doing miracles. Teaching, preaching, and healing. And in Matthew nine thirty five, same thing: teaching, preaching, and healing. So now, if you read between those two things, I heard. Uh, might have been John Piper or some Bible teacher, say, when you see something like that, you see a statement, and then later on it's the same thing, you really need to pay attention to what goes on between those two things. And what goes on between those two things is the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, and then 8 and 9. So the Sermon on the Mount is the preaching, teaching, and then Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is almost all miracles. I mean, if you look at that, cleanses a leper, the faith of a centurion, Jesus heals many. The cost of following Jesus. He calms the storm. Jesus heals two men with demons. He heals a paralytic. He calls Matthew. Questions about fasting. Etc. So, uh, heals two blind men. Jesus heals man unable to speak. So that's what's going on in that whole context. He's teaching, preaching, and doing miracles. Faith and righteousness are inseparable. Because you can't have righteousness without faith. Would you agree? Yeah, you can't. Because it's by faith. You can't have righteousness without it. And faith without righteousness is dead. <laughs> yeah, it's like the demons believe they got the faith. And they have no works, no righteousness, no activity, no you know, acting on their faith. So, yeah, you must have those two. They go together. They're inseparable. Okay, this section of Matthew 3, if you are just sick of COVID, and you absolutely just makes you want to, like, you're going to hate this next word. So this section of Matthew's, uh, of Matthew's gospel is a three-part vaccination against hypocrisy. And it really is because he has three sections here. He talks about giving to the needy through verse 4. Then in 5 through 15, it's all about prayer. In 16 through 18, it's about fasting. Okay? Giving to the needy, praying, fasting. We're only going to look at the first one today. Um, okay, so the first one is, Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness, your outworking of your faith, that demonstrates your right relationship. So we should all have works of righteousness, not self-righteousness, but righteousness that demonstrates my faith, My demonstrates that I've been born again by the Spirit of God. And he says, Beware! And I didn't need Piper to tell me, if you see, beware, beware, pay attention. (laughs) Jesus doesn't waste words. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say if you do that, you're going to hell. He just says it's for nothing. If I do my stuff, if I'm up here preaching because I like having a room full of people looking at me and trying to stay awake and listening to what I'm saying, I have no reward beyond that. God can still use me to change you, right? Balaam's donkey. He can use whatever he wants. But there's no reward if I'm doing these things in order to be seen. That's the clincher. Okay, Um, so these are against hypocrisy. It's about giving, praying, and fasting. The first one is giving, charitable giving, or alms. Okay, how does this... Oh, uh, first of all, he doesn't say when you do these things. Or he does say when you do these things. He doesn't say if. Is that correct? He doesn't say if you give money to the poor. He says when you give money to the poor. And the next one, he says when you pray. He didn't say if you're a prayer warrior and you like to pray, and everybody else just stay on the couch and watch the ball game. No, he says when you do this. And the last one, when you fast. Am I the only one who really has a problem with that last one? (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) Come on. Do you? Fasting is like no fun. (laughs) Right? It's Imposing discipline on this, and this thing likes to rule. (laughs) Fasting is hard. Yes, but I've learned very recently in my life it's also effective when it's accompanied with prayer. Okay, so he doesn't say if, he says when. Okay, so now just some questions. How does this relate to tithing and giving to the church? So when he says giving in secret, How does that relate to when we take an offering here? Any idea? You know, actually, the the blow the trumpet thing, Chris, I researched that. I couldn't find one scholar who knows anything about that. They're all like, I never heard of anybody blowing a trumpet. So it might just have been like uh, rhetoric or hyperbole. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees did do things to attract attention, to be seen by others. But So what does giving in secret, how does that relate to like half an hour ago or 45 minutes ago when we took the offering? Yeah, like if I was going to give 100 bucks and I did it all in fives (laughs) or something. Yeah, I mean, it could relate to that if, if that's why I'm doing it. But overall, I'm thinking it doesn't. It doesn't relate to this. Supporting the local church or tithing, if you want, from the Old Testament, that's totally different than this giving to the needy. We are supposed to honor God in now in the New Testament era support our church, right? Yeah, I mean, we have to pay for things like buildings and stuff like that, but we also have to support those whose job is preaching and teaching, and that's all they do. But this doesn't really relate to that. He's talking about giving to the needy. So I thought, well, that's the first thing. They're separate things. Which, then, if that's the case, Jesus is probably expecting that we respond to the poor. And this is more on an individual basis. And, you know, I've said, Christians are supposed to be generous. We're supposed to be generous people. And uh, as one of the pastors here, thank you for supporting this church, this ministry. Thank you. It's hugely important. But I would encourage you to prayerfully also bring it before God. It's like, well, God, what should I do about the poor? You know, is that something I should be involved in? And that I will leave with you. But um, what you don't want to do is take away from supporting the ministry of the church to do something else. I mean, this, you know, I'm just saying this is kind of almost like a fixed thing that has to be maintained. And we honor God by giving, by tithing. New Testament, it's hard to say tithe because my personal conviction is it's all His. I'm a steward. You know, the Old Testament had certain mandates on tithing and then other giving. Charitable giving to the poor, alms, a bunch of other things, free will offerings. So, you know, these two things are not joined at the hip, so to speak. But I would encourage you overall, you're a steward of everything God has given you. And be a good steward. Okay, so how do i uh, how secret do I really need to be when giving and And that's what we were just talking about. Do I need to uh you know when the bad goes by, just be kind of like, "Oh, what's that?" and then you know put my thing in so nobody sees? Well, no, not really. The way we give here is an important tradition, part of how we give because we're big on the giving. Or taking the offering as just one more part of our worship. So, so how do you work that out? Well, are you doing it to be seen by others or not? If you're doing it to be seen by others, obviously there's the problem. If you're, if you're doing it to just be responsible, support the church, do what you're supposed to do, then it's not like you have to you know, sneak it in the bag. This is all about what's the motive And I put, how do I know? Well, verse 1 says, to be seen. Okay? So, uh, I will speak again tomorrow. I will just get through the prayer part. (laughs) Lucky for us, I won't get to the fasting. Lucky for me. Um, But I want to leave you with, this whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus bringing the new teaching for the kingdom for people that are coming out of darkness into the kingdom and he's teaching them how to live in the kingdom that's why the first beatitude is so foundational blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom and i think you could say the opposite if you're not poor in spirit the kingdom probably ain't yours bro seriously we must be poor in spirit so when we do this You should be poor in spirit. You shouldn't be like, Lord, thank you for saving me. I'm going to take the bread and the cup and, you know, you got to bargain with me because, you know, I'm really working hard. No, you should be like, God, you are so awesome. I can't believe you saved me. I can't believe you revealed the truth of the gospel to me. And I will always be grateful. That's poor in spirit. So, very last thing on your notes. What have I been doing for the wrong reason? Okay, that's rhetorical. I'm not asking you all to fill this out and give it to me and say, Greg, this is what you've been doing for the wrong reason. (laughs) I don't need that. This is for you. Ask yourself, prayerfully ask yourself. And uh, you may have noticed the whole backside's blank. So, you know, if you've got a lot of writing to do. Actually, it's blank because I couldn't figure out how to print it and cut them in half and stuff yesterday. So... Okay, but seriously, examine your heart, which is what we're supposed to do every week. Examine yourself. Lay yourself humbly before God and say, God, what if... You probably know if you've been doing something for the wrong reason, but if you don't, just say, God, speak to me. I want to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who's pleasing and glorifying to you. What have I been doing for the wrong reason? Those are the kind of prayers I never doubt that God is going to answer. Amen? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters and just being able to be here, Lord. You are good. You do good things. And uh, your word is good. The fellowship of uh, your saints here in this place is good. Um, And we remember... Spencer and Carol, that you would bless them with a really good, productive time while they're away. Uh, Thank you for the food that we're about to eat, and uh, be glorified in all we do, we pray. Amen.